Welcome to the Full Press Fantasy Podcast. My name is Kyle Senra, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Alessandro Senator at AMS1928 and Dean Williams at Bad Apple FFC. And I'll be found on Twitter, including myself at Nyama underscore KS, N-Y-A-M-A underscore KS. Uh, how are you gentlemen doing tonight? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, we are recording this on Wednesday, May 29th. Uh, just a couple days ago, it was Memorial Day in the United States. Now, Memorial Day kind of means something different to a few of us. I know I'm Canadian, so um, we in Canada have Remembrance Day in November, but the sentiment is echoed to a lot of countries. So, Dean, why don't you start off talking about what Memorial Day means to you? Well, my father served in the Army in World War II, and both my brothers served in the Navy. One of them retired from the Navy, so I come from... A military type family uh, as far as my background goes. I just think Memorial Day is a great time to take a minute and thank those men and women that basically write a blank check with their lives and say okay I may not have to go to war but I might and if I do I'll do that because the freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to vote, all those things they don't really come from the government. Those come from the soldiers and sailors and airmen that fight and are willing to fight for those freedoms. Yeah, for um, for me, uh, Memorial Day it's it's a strong thing because you see all the time veterans they need help and they need us to get back to their lives and you know I, I came across this a while ago, uh, Wounded Warrior Project. It helps each soldier, man and woman, adjust back to civilian life. And for those guys that really need adjustments because due to uh, physical limited limitabilities. Uh, mental, psychological, whatever, these guys, they help. And um, just knowing that there's things like Wounded Warrior Project, uh, 22 Till Valhalla, all these different types of things helping out veterans, um, I think that's really great. And, you know, I I don't come from a military background. Um, I don't come from a military family. You know, I did have someone in my family serve in another nation's army, you know, couple of generations ago but uh that's like you said kyle it's remember all over the world you know canadians british whoever uh doesn't matter where you're from we all respect the fallen because we all know one simple harsh truth that freedom is free and so giving thanks giving back to the troops and showing support for the troops it's it's a big thing you know i personally have a couple of friends in each branch of the military so it for me that's the closest that could hit home you know if something happened to them so you know do something for the troops and always get back i love grunt style and i love nine line apparel they're veteran runs uh organizations that make t-shirts and i just they support the troops because they were part of the troop and i don't know man it's 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 tough you know but i like it i mean Veterans all over the world have done so much for us. Anything we can do to give back, it's not only our, you know, not only should we do it, it really should be our duty to do it. And their their duty has been so encompassing in their whole lives. And some of them, it is their whole lives because they're unfortunately ended their lives or has greatly impacted their lives, as Alessandro mentioned. Now, like Dean, I also have uh, family members who are in the military. 
now again, I'm Canadian, so a lot of them are serve in the Canadian military. I had an uncle in the air, in the Air Force, a couple cousins who are currently in the reserves. Uh, another, my brother-in-law, he is in the Air Force as well, and uh, one of my groomsmen at my wedding the last year, he's in the Navy. So to me, it's it's been very present for most of my life. I know my now, one cousin. This is this is a fantasy podcast, so nine, ten. She'll begin. He, as I mentioned, he, knew he wanted talking to be in the about wide receivers. Now, you know, some people just have those who listened to the previous wanna, episode. We did running back tiers, like five so tiers deep over two episodes. Wide receivers, there's a few more in the field, so we're going to go six deep today to and see how that goes. We'll see how long this takes. So, are you guys ready to get into it? Yeah. Yeah, let's go, man. All right, let's throw that football. Now, last week we started with just general sort of drafting strategies regarding running back. Do either of you have something to say about wide receivers in that regard? Wide receivers, I think you have to look at opportunity and schedule. Uh, there's a lot of wide receivers, and especially in the upper two tiers, that are pretty interchangeable. Guys can get hot. It depends on who they're uh, matched up with. I think more so than running backs, cornerback wide receiver matchups are are really important to your weekly uh, health as far as your fantasy team goes, and it's something that you need to look at if you can. But that being said, uh, if you draft running back heavy, which I'm a kind of a proponent of, when I look at wide receivers, I generally look at the best wide receiver on the board at that time. For me, wide receivers, they're like Dean said, they're interchangeable, so... The top two tiers, I'll even go to top three tiers because it all depends on if the quarterback can get hot. It, it just it, it all depends on the matchup, like Dean said. A running back only has to go up against a linebacker, and then he's good. Wide receiver has to go up against a cornerback, and I know DeAndre Hopkins or Juju Smith-Suster can outrun a guy, but you know every so often they're going to get shut down possibly by – you know, a cornerback. So it is about uh, schedule, and it's also about who's under center. Like, if they're feeling it or if they're not, you know, you guys see if the quarterback is hot or cold. So it's a big difference between wide receiver and running back. And I think the, in terms of draft strategy, I think there's there certainly is a, an argument to take wide receivers in the first round. Some of these top-end guys that seemingly doesn't matter which corner they're matched up against. I think of the guys who can make contested catches as well as get great separation. Someone like, let's say, DeAndre Hopkins. doesn't seem to matter which corner is covering him. He's still going to produce. Maybe not hit to his full potential against a top-end corner, but he's still going to get you something that you feel comfortable with in your fantasy lineup, not a big dud. There's a certain security and stability that you get with these, you know, a few particular top-end guys that... I know I look for in the first round. I always tend to draft for floor first. I want those stable productions, and then I'll look for upside later in the draft. I know that's not everyone's strategy. Some people do actually go for upside early. I don't know how often we see wide receivers get 20 touchdowns in a season. We referenced last week. Some running backs have that potential. But there's uh, still some guys that you just have to feel comfortable with in the first round. I, I like taking a lot of shots at guys that'll start. A team, and I mean, depending on how teams use formations, are two wide receivers considered starters, or teams that spread, you know, in spread formations or three wide receiver sets often consider three, the third guy a starter as well. The Rams last year ran three wide receiver sets, and it was something like 95% of their plays. 
you have to consider that third guy a starter too, just as much as the other two. And that kind of factors in, and I want to get as many starters in the first, I guess technically you could say five, six rounds as you can. A couple running backs sprinkle in there. Maybe if you take a tight end, really high-end guys kind of act like a, a wide receiver in that sense of the production they get you. But for the most part, I really like to attack the position early and often in the first, say, six, seven rounds. So now let's get to our top tier. I've already kind of referenced DeAndre Hopkins, maybe spoiling a little bit of the surprise. But in our first tier, there are two players that are consensus between the three of us. Hopkins being one of them. And the second is Michael Thomas. Uh, Does anyone want to speak quickly about Hopkins? It's Nuke. I mean, what can you say about Nuke? Yeah, The man's an absolute monster, so... Yeah, Hopkins is just in his own category almost out there on the side. He's the guy that you measure the others against right now, I think. And I, I would I don't think he produces he outproduces anyone by a significant enough margin to put him in his own tier. But all three of us have him at the top of these tiers. I don't know if these are exact rankings. I know for me it's the rough estimation. It is sort of intact. So I think that it is worth noting that all three of us have him at the top. I don't think that's a coincidence. I know I if uh, early in the in the draft, if I don't like any of the running backs and all the receivers are there, I'd probably go Hopkins. And then uh, Michael Thomas, uh, he offers a pretty solid floor. I talked about floor in the first round, and this is the kind of guy you want in terms of the receiving production. He gets catches a lot of receptions. It's uh, a quarterback who is usually high volume. You know, the last couple of years they've been running a little bit more, but even last year it wasn't that extreme. Uh, like 2017. 2017 was a strong rushing year for them, for both Ingram and Kamara. 2018, not so much. And maybe with Latavius Murray there, I don't know if that increases the rushing attempts or not. I'd be pretty safe banking on Thomas. Do either of you want to chime in on Thomas, or can we talk about our differences now? Oh, let's get to the differences. We got Duke and L over, man. <laughs> okay, so this is a little bit more spread out than running backs. There's a lot of uh, more disagreements at the top end I found than it was last week. So, so far what I've seen here is two of us have Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, and Juju Smith-Schuster in the top tier. You know, those players appear twice, not three times. So that's why there's no consensus. And then I also added Odell Beckham in the top tier, but neither of you guys did. So let's save him for last and go through these ones where it's two-on-one, where I'm not the only one. Gang up on me later, but... <laughs> Let's start with Devontae Adams. Well, I think Devontae Adams in the situation in Green Bay with a new coaching staff, and I'm, like I said last week, I'm not necessarily sold on the new coach's play calling, but I am sold on Aaron Rodgers' ability to throw the football, and Devontae Adams is his favorite target. There's just no doubt in my mind that Devontae Adams will see the football. He had 169 targets last year, 111 receptions. 13 touchdowns. I mean, I I expect him to put up numbers very similar to that again this year. I think Devontae Adams is one of the three or four guys that is going to be at the top of everybody's list. Uh, despite Matt LaFleur's play calling, or I'm not going to say his play calling, but this, despite his experience play calling, we really don't know what he's going to do just yet. And we can't really judge from the Titans because that's a wholly different group of athletes in Tennessee than he's got in Green Bay. Uh, but I will say you, you hit it the nail on the head, right? Rodgers seems to trust Adams now more than anyone on the team. It wasn't the case a couple years ago, but Jordy Nelson being gone, I mean, really, it's he's he's in line for tons of targets, I think. But 
maybe not more than what he had last year. I mean, last year he had 169 targets. I don't expect that to go up, but I also don't expect that to drop. 170 targets seems plausible again. And if you look at Green Bay Packers receiving leaders for touchdowns, it's always in the double digits. It has been the last few years. Uh, I mean, last year, Devontae Adams had 13. The year before, he had 10. Uh, I know 2016, Jordy Nelson had 14. So whoever that number one receiver is for the Packers, they're almost locked in for double-digit touchdowns. And I, I don't know if there's any other receiver you could really say that about. Even in some of Brown's best years, you only catch eight touchdown passes. So I think the receiving upside, I know for me, the only receiver I would consider over Hopkins is Adams because of that. I know he's going to get enough receptions in PPR leagues. So if you can get that extra touchdown boost. And last week he had such an amazing floor. I remember reading and looking at the stat log. In PPR leagues, he never had less than 16 points in any week. You can say he had that kind of stability. And that's, again, I'm the, I'm the safe guy. Give me that investment that I know will pay off to a certain level. I don't necessarily need the boom-bust guy in the first round. I want someone like Devontae Adams. Obviously, Alessandro, your rankings doesn't look like you would take Adams in the first round. Well, I mean, not entirely. I would take Devontae Adams in the first round. See, I put him in the second tier, but he is, like I said last time, he's a flex between the two. I'm banking Devontae Adams on Aaron Rodgers. I got them handcuffed. Like Dean said, it's a new system. It's a new head coach. You can trust Aaron Rodgers all you want, but Aaron Rodgers is going to do what Aaron Rodgers is going to do, and he's going to throw the ball. Now, I need to see which Aaron Rodgers is going to pop out, you know, because this past year he completed 372 of his throws out of 600, and that's like 62.3% completion rating. The last good full year we could count it against was 2016 where he completed 400 throws on 600 uh yeah 400 throws on 610 attempts 40 touchdowns he had more yardage and he was more of an accurate qb at 65.7 so i need to see that aaron Rodgers come back out and not see the hurt aaron Rodgers that we had last year i would take Devontae Adams in the first round and the only reason why he's in the second tier because he's a flex between the two, he, I, he's handcuffed the Rodgers for me. So, okay, that's fair. But I will say that even in a year last year where Rodgers, as you said, came down from his usual historical level, he still managed to get 13 touchdowns. So I think if Rodgers improves any bit this year, which expect him to if he's not injured right from the start, right from game one, uh, I you got I got to think that Adams is not only going to duplicate what he does, but improve it. Now, we're going to talk about someone who isn't as touchdown-locked as Adams seems to be. Someone who last year got a lot of flack for his lack of touchdowns from uh, 2017 and even the start of 2018, and that's Julio Jones. And I mentioned this a little bit off-camera, off how you know it's amazing how Julio has had the, these um, you know insane yardage totals and finishes, and he's been a wide receiver one for, I guess, now five seasons in a row. And he hasn't, in, in that five-year stretch, hasn't had more than eight touchdowns. 2012, he had 10. He's never been a really huge touchdown producer. I know that throws some people off, but to me it almost says, wow, this guy isn't touchdown dependent. You, you know he's going to get you a certain amount of yards. You don't have to worry about a, a, you know, a stat that tends to elevate a bit more than yards. I mean, 
I look at his last five yardage total seasons. 2014, he had 1,592 yards. 2015, he led the league with 1,800 yards, 1,871. A couple of 1,400-yard seasons in 2016-27, and then 26, or sorry, in 2018, 1,600 yards. Twice led the league in yards. Three times in the last four years led the league in yards per game. And even with Calvin Ridley coming on last year, it didn't affect what he got. He still had 170 targets. He's not gonna, probably not going to get 203 targets like he did in 2015, but... I, mean, I think Julio's safe and locked in for 1,400 yards, and maybe he'll only get three touchdowns, but I expect he'll get probably closer to six. Dean, uh, do you have anything to add to why you have Julio in the top tier? Well, I have Julio in the top tier because he's one of the best receivers in the NFL, like you mentioned, Kyle. The only thing that's dropped with Julio's performance is the length of the passes he's seeing. He is catching some shorter passes. They're not having him, or he's not breaking as many, I guess I should say. I don't think they probably changed their route tree much, but his yards per reception has dropped from 2016 from 17 per catch to 16.4 to 14.8. But he sees the ball so much, and he's so good. He's so strong at the point of attack with the ball that I don't see him slowing down enough to take him out of my top tier. Well, actually, that's, that's a funny stat to look at because uh, I'm looking in over the last... Have over the last five years, the two seasons where he led the league in, rece- in receiving yards were his two lowest in yards per reception. So it's, it's funny how that kind of works out. But when, you, I mean, when you're catching 113 passes, sometimes they'll be shorter, but maybe that helps as an advantage, I think. I almost wonder if getting shorter targets increases the PPR floor. I mean, it could, uh, you could be right. I'm sorry, Alison, I don't even cut you off. You could be right because looking at that, those are also the two top uh, reception years he had, 113 and 136. So could there be something to that? Yes, yeah, so Alessandro, you have Julio in a similar range to Adams. Is it something similar where you just put him in Tier 2, but you still consider him a first-round pick? Uh, this is a tricky one for me, because Julio, like you said, he puts up fantastic numbers. The yard is just there. That's no, that, that's no surprise. And the touchdowns are there for him when he needs a dish and that. You know, it's actually funny. I'm looking at his stats right now. The only two years he was not selected to the Pro Bowl was his rookie year and the year he got hurt. That's it. Every other year he was elected to the Pro Bowl and twice the first team All Pro. So I hats off to this guy. I'm not. I'm not dissing on him in any way, shape, or form. I love Julio. I have him on my um, uh, what you call? I have him on my fantasy team. I love him. The problem I'm having with him is his quarterback. And this is why this is tricky for me. Matt Ryan, he, he's a... I wouldn't, he's not an Aaron Rodgers, let's put it that way. And I have Julio handcuffed to Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley because Julio got the targets, really got the targets. You know, I'm looking at Ridley's stats, and he had 871 yards in his last season while Julio did, what, 1677? Something like that. So you, you can see yeah. where the yardage is, but Ridley had the touchdowns. Ridley's more the wide receiver dependent touchdown kind of guy, but he can still throw in the yards. So Julio, for me, he, he he's flexing right now. But he's definitely a first-round pick for me, no, no question about it. I just need to see Matty Ice to get better. I need Matty Ice to beat uh, the Falcons' MVP Super Bowl without the 
what happened in the Super Bowl kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? I need him to go Mr. Fantastic, and then they'll lock Julio as a tier one for me. But right now, he's flexing. I need to see some stability. That's all. I, mean, I don't think that Julio is as good as Aaron Rodgers or Breeze. I mean, I don't even think any say I think. I feel like that's a fact. Uh, and Matt even, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> and Matt Ryan. I mean, they're Julio's probably better. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, yeah, they're clearly <laughs> different. Uh, but, so, yeah, so, uh, yeah, Breeze and Rodgers are better than Matt Ryan. And I think Deion, uh, Deshaun Watson almost did it again. Deshaun Watson is, at this point, showing more promise and potential than Matt Ryan. So, I don't think that's necessarily a wrong thing to say there, Alessandro. Uh, bumping him down a little bit for the quarterback play. Seems like every year he gets a new offensive coordinator, he struggles. I don't know how, how much this is going to struggle for Matt Ryan because it's a coordinator he's worked with before in Dirk Cutter. Great seasons with him. Uh, actually, I think Julio's eighteen hundred yard season. That I'm pretty sure that was with Dirk Cutter. I mean, you, you see Julio with the new system. He slow at the start, and then he just explodes towards the end. So, it's a wait and see situation right now. All right, and uh, something else that's a real wait and see situation. Uh, this team is kind of flipped a little bit. They had. Uh, arguably the best wide receiver of this generation on this team for five years. Or, well, he had a five-year stretch where it looked like he was the best receiver, and the numbers kind of point to that significantly. Now there's a new guy taking over, a new sheriff in town, Juju Smith-Schuster with Steelers. So Alessandro and Dean, you both have him in Tier 1. Alessandro, that's one of only three players you have in the top tier. But you obviously held him in quite the high esteem. I have him in Tier 2, so I'm a little hesitant. So can you guys convince me that I'm wrong here. Dean, why don't you start us off? Well, he's the heir apparent to A.B.'s spot. He's the number one receiver on the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Ben Roethlisberger will throw the football. He, he just doesn't seem to like to turn around and hand it off to anybody. He wants to throw it down the field. I respect that, and knowing that, I think his receivers will see enough work, and I think his receiving core is good enough with James Washington and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster to merit it, and I think there's enough talent out there that it'll still be the Steelers' offense, even without A.B. You know, it may slow down a little, but I don't think it'll slow down enough uh, that Juju Smith-Schuster won't be a Tier 1 type of guy. Hey, Alessandro, anything to add? I mean, Dean said the best. I love, okay, I don't love A.B. He, he's hit or miss for me. He, I'm sorry, I gotta speak the truth here. You know, he's a good guy, great wide receiver. He's just hit or miss, especially with all the drama that happened. Big Ben, he's hot and cold for me as well, but he's been getting hot, and I don't know why resurfaced between the the season of the Killer Bees. I just like Big Ben throwing the ball because, like Dean said, he doesn't like it handing off. So, Le'Veon Bell, when he did hand him off, it was all Le'Veon Bell. And he rarely got touches, like Dean said. You know, you just let him run it. When he threw the ball, A.B. was his favorite target. Didn't matter where A.B. was, he would put it right there for A.B. So, when Juju came on, Juju pretty much mimicked A.B., but did it better. With some swag, with some style. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not wrong here. He did. Well, I thought, at first I thought you meant better in production. But yeah, swagger, I can give you that. Oh, no, he did better production, too. I mean, you saw a nice, solid trend from rookie to where he is now. It's a nice, solid upward trend. 
And without, you know, the master, the shadow, you know, overbearing him, he's going to just fly off the charts. So I, I fully believe in Juju. Barring any injury and barring Big Ben going down, it's the stars for Juju. Actually, I, I believe Juju can do it even if Big Ben goes down. That's how much I believe in him. Hmm. As opposed to Brown, who it seemed like any time someone else took over for Ben, Brown's production dipped. Yeah, I mean, that, that actually did happen. So for a few games, but so because Brown is used to getting the ball where he wants it, where he needs it. Juju is used to improvising on the fly, just you know, putting that swag to style and just moving around across the field. So that's the difference between the two wide receivers. Well, I know for me, I I am a little concerned that without Brown, Juju might see, uh, you know. T- Top corners, maybe. We talked about it in the intro, how the cornerback-wide receiver matchup is one of the most important to look at on a weekly basis for fantasy. Now, that being said, there are been, there have been reports that the Steelers are planning to use Schuster in the slot as they did last year, which would certainly help his fantasy production and doesn't really take anything away from it because we see it, we see it now. More and more teams, they're putting their number one receiver in the slot. Get them open. Get them your number one target the ball in space and let them catch it very easily. If they continue to do that, I certainly don't see Smith-Schuster's production dipping. But you, Alessandro mentioned that he could skyrocket. He did receive 166 targets last year. Yeah, he'll probably get a bump, a boost, a little bump. But I mean, is he going to get to 203 like Julio did a few years ago? Not as convinced of that. It's only seven touchdowns last year and seven the year before. It's a consistent number. Not quite what Brown was putting up some years. Actually, in his between 2013 and 2018, Brown never had fewer than eight, even at 15 last year. So I think to get to that level of production of Brown and really a top-tier guy for me, Juju's going to have to increase his touchdown production. I don't really want to necessarily bank on that. After all, they may run more in the red zone or use someone like Dante Moncrief as a you know a, a jump ball kind of guy, box out, uses big frame. Same with McDonald. So, yeah, but you said it, Kyle. Um, AB was there. So now we're going to see what Juju's like without AB. Where so, did those 15 touchdowns go? Yeah, that, you're right. Yeah, that those, could happen. those 15 touchdowns can go to him because, I mean, who else do they have there? You got Vance McDonald, James Conner, insert name, insert name, insert name. Like, I, there's well, not that just to repeat a little bit on our first episode, we t- you talked about Benny Snell, right? That could be, I, I think one of the things we, we kind of conceived that could be possible is he could be a goal line back for them. So maybe, maybe they just run a lot in the red zone. So I guess for me, I can see the possibility. I understand why you guys have him in the top tier. I guess I just want to see it first. And I think to me, as much as I think he'll be okay and he'll sustain his level of production, we'll see how much better, how, if this team, how much this team regresses without Brown. I'm a little afraid of that. Or, I guess, too afraid for me to have him over guys that we mentioned, like Julio, Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams. And if it's all right with you, our next player, Mike Evans. Now, Evans is someone that I have in the top tier. And again, new coaching staff there. So there's a bit of an unknown over the last few years with a little bit of a different offensive system. I guess Dirk Cutter was there for most of it, but even before Cutter arrived, Mike Evans was on fire. I mean, 1,000-yard seasons in each of his five years in the league. Never fewer than 122 targets. You know, up and down touchdowns. It, it seems a little bit like Jones. 
Evans has had as much, many as 12 touchdowns in a season and as few as three. So there's, whereas I guess we just mentioned with Julio, back-to-back years of seven touchdowns. It's nice to get a little bit more of a consistent boost. But really, I, I don't see Evans getting lower than you know, 136 targets and 138 in the last two years. I don't see him dipping below that. They've lost a couple of receivers, and yeah, Chris Godwin's going to get more of a role in the passing game. Bruce Arians loves to throw the ball to the running backs. Maybe with all the tight ends they have, maybe they substitute. You know, David Johnson got 80 catches that one season. Ravens the RB1. I don't know if they're going to give it 80 catches to the combination of the Bucks backfield of Andre Ellington, Ronald Jones, Peyton Barber, Bruce Anderson. That's probably not going to happen. So maybe the tight ends get some more. But really, I think Evans is going to consistently get that 130 targets. I was just going to say something about your tight ends. Um, the New York Jets recently cut Jordan Leggett, which was the tight end from Clemson. He never eclipsed more than 300 yards, and the Bucks put in the bid and won the bid on the waiver wire for that tight end. So, uh, You think that's more of a blocking tight end move? He is a terrible blocking tight end. Okay, then I have no idea why. Okay. <laughs> Depth piece, maybe? There you go, <laughs> it's, I, I just think that'll be tough for him to get past Breit and Howard on the death chart. Anyway, sorry. Let's uh, tight ends for another episode. This is receiver talk here, wide receiver talk. So yeah, Dean, why don't you uh, want to continue on, Mike Evans? Sure. I, that tight end signing is probably just for training camp depth. Probably just to have another body, in my opinion, because he probably won't make that team with Howard and uh, Breit there. But Mike Evans is has the prototypical body him and uh, he and Julio Jones big fast strong at the point of attack and I really think that Jameis Winston is going to be auditioning now quarterbacks are a different show also but I think he's going to be auditioning for the other 31 teams I think Tampa Bay might move on he's going to have to prove that he can stay on the field and be effective I think he does his best to do that and I think his best option to do that is give the ball to Mike Evans as much as he can and that's why I think Evans is in line for a really big season. Uh, I think he at least hits eight touchdowns, if not more. And I think he has 15, 1,600 yards receiving this year. I think I think he has a really big year. That's why I've got him so high. Uh, I guess we're starting to dip into the third tier a little bit here, actually. Uh, most of the guys we've talked about have all been either first or second tier. Evans, Alessandro, you have him in tier three. Explain yourself. I mean, it's not that big of an explanation. Here's the skinny of it. I like Mike Evans. He's a solid tier two, possible tier one player for me. I don't like the quarterback situation there at all. James Winston, he's not that great of a quarterback. He's got, he showed some flashes. We just got, you know, be careful about because in his first season, four thousand yards. Second season, four thousand yards. Third season, thirty-five hundred. We started to see some production go down. And this past season, couldn't even get 3,000 yards. But his production's been going down. Get, you know, he's played more or less games, so I could see them pulling away from him. So I, I, that's why I'm you know, hesitant to pull him in the top two tiers like you guys. But if Winston gets his act together or they get someone in there that can get their act together, I'll, I'll definitely move Mike Evans up. All right, so that's something that I guess pay attention to next year. Suppose in free agency, the draft, there could be options for them. We'll also see if they do resign Winston. I, this, yeah, as I mentioned, it's an audition year, a contract year. 
I believe this is his fifth year option. So it is a pretty uh, expensive yeah. audition for Tampa. He's probably making close to twenty million as a first overall pick. But yeah, so that kind of ends our first tier, at least for you guys. Now I have someone in here that either you have as mentioned before, Odell Beckham Jr. So we'll close out our top tier with him. Skinny of it is that I believe that he has he will be changing quarterbacks, which is uh, gives me a little hesitation. Right, receiver needs to develop chemistry with the quarterback. Now, but unlike a certain receiver that we'll talk about next, probably, Beckham's actually getting an improvement at quarterback, and I think a pretty significant improvement. To me, that can only be a positive thing. Yeah, it's going to take a bit of time to develop some chemistry. Beckham and Baker Mayfield together, that's going to be, that's going to be make some sweet, sweet fantasy music for us. Baker in only four, in 13 starts, threw for 486, yard, uh, 486 attempts, 3,700 yards, yeah, TD to INT ratio, 27 to 14, and the 27, that was a, it's a rookie record. Uh, and I think Beckham is in line for a bunch of targets. I'm looking at their target leaders last year. Really, it was Landry with 149, and after that, Antonio Cowley at 79. Now you take, I don't know, I'm looking here, and the next up was Duke Johnson with 26. I don't think he is a significant part of that offense anymore, at least once Kareem Hunt returns. Maybe in the first few games he is. Njoku got 88 targets. That might sustain itself, but I think overall that team's probably going to pass more. So someone like Beckham could come in, and maybe Landry's not going to get 150 targets. But I think Beckham is probably a safe bet for at least 100 targets, maybe even 120. Might not be the days that he was in New York, but the quality of targets will certainly improve, and I think that efficiency is going to help him get more yards and also potentially score more. Now, obviously, both of you seem to disagree with this. Dean, you have OBJ in Tier 2, and while Alessandro, you have him down in Tier 3. A bit of an asterisk there, but we'll get to that in a sec. So, Dean, what was your hesitation of putting OBJ in the top tier? The reason I don't have him in the top tier is because of the balance on that offense. We talked in the running back episode about Nick Chubb and all the things we expect him to do. You just touched on David Njoku and the targets he got. Well, we've already got a target monster in Jarvis Landry there, plus the other receiver on the outside. I think the offensive system will be to spread the ball around, which makes sense. I think Baker Mayfield is good enough that he can use all those weapons and get them involved. And I don't think you see OBJ with that kind of monster year that would get him in the top tier. Now, I've got him in my second tier. He's on the bottom of my second tier. But I've, I've got Jarvis Landry in my third tier. So I expect those two guys to have very similar years. Landry with maybe a few more catches. Beckham with a few more yards, maybe touchdowns. I think it's well-balanced, and I think it's really good for everybody concerned. But I don't think it puts Beckham in the top tier. You know, it's a logical argument with Landry, because I know for Alessandro and I, neither of us have him uh, in tier three. We'll get to that a little later on. But for now, Alessandro, why do you have some asterisks next to OBJ's name? Care to explain your thought process here? Well, I have OBJ in the third round. For, uh, second round, third round for me. Uh, second tier, third tier for me. Because the, the because the, it's pretty much a quarterback situation. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. I mean, you went from having Eli Manning to Baker Mayfield. And everyone's screaming, Baker Mayfield is the truth. Baker Mayfield is this, you know. 
I, I, I just, I'm skeptical about it. You know, I love Baker Mayfield. I want him for the Jets. Don't get me wrong. I love the guy. It's just I'm not screaming and putting him on posters and plaques. So the reason why I put asterisks next to it is because I saw a report where OBJ got hurt with a sprained ankle, and I'm trying to find the report saying that during his OTAs. So I'm going to keep an eye on that situation. But they said OBJ got hurt and he re-fractured his sprained ankle or something along those lines. I just noticed something with his ankle. So I'm trying to see what that's all about. Him and Jarvis Landry are handcuffed for me. So I have Jarvis Landry all the way down, 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 (laughs) in the fifth tier. Landry normally would be in a third tier situation for me, but because OBJ is there, it's it's going to be a different difficult situation. But if the reports I'm seeing or I have seen are true and he is hurt, that's definitely going to bump Jarvis Landry's stock. So I want to keep an eye on that and keep uh, all the fans surprised of it. Yes, for me, I just expect Baker to get more than 27 touchdowns, and you know, if he can get to. 35 touchdowns the amount of wealth being spread out I find it hard to believe that Beckham won't get 10 touchdowns but maybe I am a little too high on Baker so I guess we will see that sort of wraps up the top tier and we'll get to tier 2 there are two players that are consensus and I don't know if necessarily these are the next two players ranked for any of us but it's the ones we seem to agree most on and I know for me they're two similar players so it makes sense that they're together that's Keenan Allen and T.Y. Hill. Consensus across the board for us, both in Tier 2. I know for me, this deal is really similar, that they're target monsters on their teams. In healthy years, they've never received less than 100 targets. I mean, I look at Keenan Allen, 105, 121. A couple of injury-riddled seasons. Eight games, he had 89 targets in 2015. and one game, he had seven targets in 2016. He was well off on a good pace there. So since returning from those injuries, playing 16 games the last two years, Allen has 159 and 136 targets, respectively. Uh, Hilton, other than the 2017 when Luck missed the whole year, again, same thing. Since 2013, his second year, he has had no less than 109 targets, and that was Andrew Luck's injury-riddled season. Other than that, 120 last year was actually the least he's had in a little while. But it's his... Uh, third best receiving yard year in his career. Now, neither of them are huge touchdown producers. Uh, for Allen, his career high was eight in his rookie year. T.Y. Hilton, seven in his rookie year, and also third year. So I think they're, that's why, to me, they're, they've got a little bit, their upside's capped as compared to the top tier receivers. So I think, for me, they're well-placed in tier two. I think you said it all, Kyle. I, th- I think we're all pretty much in agreement with that. Let's duke it out. All right, so let's start off with a player we've touched on briefly when talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, and that's Antonio Brown. Dean, you and I both have him up there. I know for me, I was really close, really torn in between Tier 1 and Tier 2. Actually, it was the same with Beckham, and even Mike Evans to a certain extent, but with Beckham, it was the same reason. Going to a new quarterback, that chemistry does take time to develop. What, what's going to happen with Brown? You know, he's so consistent and so, so much high-end production. Big Ben, if you're afraid, is, is he going to reach that plateau with Derek Carr? Now, I put a Beckham in the top here because I feel it's an improvement in quarterback going from Eli Manning at the stage of his career, and frankly, at any stage of his career, 
compared to Baker Mayfield. Now, Ben, for all his you know, deficiencies and errors and his you know, his, his proneness to turnovers, he still gives great quality targets to Antonio Brown. Carr, pretty accurate too. But again, we'll see if the chemistry develops. We'll see if Brown does get 160-plus targets. I think he will. That's why I have him up here, but just a little too hesitant to put him in the top tier. Dean, uh, do you have echo similar sentiments? To a point, I kind of waffled with Brown between my third tier and second tier. And upper second tier, uh, he's a great talent. But you're right, David uh, Carr, Derek Carr is not uh, Big Ben. He's not a bad quarterback, but he's not Big Ben. The weapons in Oakland are not the same as the weapons in Pittsburgh. There will be more attention given to Brown because there can be. You don't have to cover uh, as many options on the field as you do in Pittsburgh. The more I look at it, the more I think they'll probably force the ball to Brown quite a bit. They will get him the football every chance they get. That's why I eventually wound up bumping him up from Tier 3 into Tier 2 and even in the upper part of that tier because I think he'll see the opportunity because that gives them the best chance to win. I think that's the way they will attack on offense this year in Oakland. All right. Alessandro, you have AB in Tier 3, which isn't that far off. But you to explain why you're a little colder than we are? Well, it's pretty much like Dean said. You know, it's a new system... And it's not that many weapons, so I feel like AB is not going to have the same kind of positive yardage like he did in Pittsburgh. Like like Dean said, it's not a Big Ben, you know, it's Derek Carr. Derek Carr's accuracy and Big Ben's accuracy are, I'm pretty sure they're not in the same ballpark. Talking two different sports here, kind of accuracy. Yeah, it, I mean, not to, not to rag on the guy, but, I mean, he did have Amari Cooper. If Amari Cooper went from Oakland to Dallas, and we're looking, he's considered one one of the better wide receivers now. So, is, is that speaking to Dak being better, or is that speaking to Derek Carr? I don't know. All I do know is it's two different quarterbacks. It's two different systems. And, like he said, there's not that many targets in Oakland. So, they're going to be double and triple covering him. So I don't see him actually, you know, actually holding the rock or getting much of the rock. But I do feel like he is such a... I feel like most teams have been kind of doubling him anyway. Are they always oh, kind of a little tougher to do when he's in the slot? Maybe on the outside, he can always put that safety over top. But it seems like he's been able to beat any kind of coverage that comes his way. A little less concerned about the double teaming. I feel like that's something he's had to face his whole career. But again, there are question marks. Maybe it's the... It's the field that made, uh, and we know that stadium isn't really the greatest, so maybe Cooper played better in that very expensive Jerry world as opposed to the very floody Oakland <laughs> stadium that is, as you mentioned, a ballpark. This is a very appropriate team to make that comparison with since they do actually play in a ballpark. Really hope that Derek Carr can keep the ball inside the ballpark, though. <laughs> we want him hitting home runs in this case. That's too much baseball talk for now. Right. But let's... Uh, I think this is a good time to transition to Amari Cooper since we have been touching on him. And I, I apologize, Alessandro. I didn't mean to say you were cold. You're just you were colder on Brown. You're actually a very warm, kind-hearted person. We love to love having you on this on the show. Oh, don't 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 try to make my soul seem warmer than this. It's a black hole. It's okay. I get it. <laughs> so in that case, I'm, I'm in that case, if it's a black hole, I'm surprised you don't cheer for Oakland. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
I got you. I got you for my jets. You know they're already in a black hole of their own. Whoops! Too soon? Nah, that's not too soon. They've been doing it forever. <laughs> Since 1969, that was the last time anything. Uh... Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. All right. Let's instead talk about Amari Cooper, someone that Alessandro you're quite high on. So would you like to uh, talk about him? Um. Actually, yeah, I am high on Amari Cooper because I've. Watched him in Oakland, and mind you, he did have Derek Carr. I can't say much bad things about the guy, but I will say bad things, but I won't. And flip, flop, flip, flop, flip, flop. Anyways, Amari uh, Cooper, he got there, 1,000-yard season. Second year, 1,000-yard season. Last year, no, excuse me, the year before last year, he only pulled 800. He started to lose receptions, and then they just traded him out of the blue. He had 200 yards in nine games with Oakland, or however many games he was with Oakland, he only had 200 yards. And then they flip the script, and they go to Dallas, which I don't even know why Dallas did this. I kind of understand it, but same token, I don't know why he did this. But Dallas turned around, gave him the rock, and he just ran in for 700 yards. It's about a combined 1,000-yard season. So will he keep up the same kind of production? I don't know because, you know, it's Dak. Dak is a hot and cold quarterback at the same time. A lot of my guys are situational with quarterbacks. I just need to see, you know, because you got Zeke there. You got and Anthony Gallup. You have Jason Witten. Old guy, old guy, new guy, new guy, new guy. And it's really not much of a good situation there besides Zeke and Gallup. Beasley's gone off to Buffalo. There are, some of their offensive line has gone to Tampa, to Oakland. It, it, I, it's really a hit or miss. So you got Amari Cooper and you got Zeke. Possibly win, but I don't trust them that much. So I can see them getting the production and getting the points. So that's why I'm high on Cooper because I know he'll get the rock for sure because he's just an absolute monster and there's no one really there that shines. Now, you're not alone in thinking this, as Dean, you also have Cooper in Tier 2. I have him in Tier 3, so again, you guys are going to have to do a little group uh, work to convince me here. So, Dean, why don't you rap about Cooper? Well, Alessandro said about everything there is to say about the situation. I think Cooper is in a great situation to take the tops off defense and use the gifts that he has on the field with that team. You can't really play back because if you do Elliot will gash the snot out of you watching this guy play the Eagles twice a year I'm a fan unless he's playing against the Eagles because he tears us up seems like but Elliot will not allow defenses to to sit back and and just sit there in that zone and try to take things away you almost have to man up sometimes and I correct and I hear that uh, Jason Witten is coming back this year to Dallas yeah, they said something about him coming out of the broadcaster booth and back to Dallas on a one-year contract, I'm pretty sure. So they're back to being their number one tight end. So get the walker out. But get the walker out, but get the walker out and down the middle of the field because he will draw safeties away from the outside where Cooper is. Cooper will have opportunity out there, and Dallas likes this big three arrangement. Back when it uh, won all the Super Bowls with Emmitt Smith and Michael Irvin and Troy Aikman. They had the big three with some complimentary players. I think that's what they're shooting for now. I don't know if Prescott is in that same mold as Aikman or close. I think Elliott's a pretty good comparison to, to Smith, even though I think Emmitt Smith's one of the best that ever played the game. I think in his prime, Elliott 
uh, can hang with him right now. And Cooper for, for Irving, I mean, I see the same type of thing, and you have enough talent around to take the pressure off those guys. I think he could have a really big year, and that's why I've got Cooper as high as I do. Well, I guess for me, I'm looking at it, and I think my hesitancy is how much that team runs the football. But now I'm also looking at the splits last year for Dak Prescott. And before Cooper got there, the most attempts he had was 35, the week just before Cooper got there against Washington. And then afterwards, there was only two games the rest of the year where he didn't throw at least 30 passes. 28 in week... This is week 13, and then 25 in week 17. But then there's a one game in there where he had 54 attempts. Seems like a lot for Prescott. So it does seem like the offense has changed, at least to, uh, you know, to complement such a great weapon, right? You figure if you have a receiver like that and they trade it up to get him, they're going to throw more and use him. Like you said, that, that offense still runs through Zeke. And I guess my hesitancy is I have him kind of in this tier three where a couple of certain Vikings receivers that on a team that I expect to run the ball a lot. I sort of kind of group them all together in that sense. Spoiling a little for now, but we'll get to that later. But uh, I know for me, the one thing that Cooper didn't prove last year was his catching efficiency. Uh, his catch rate before his best one for a season long was 63% in 2016, and he bumped that up to 70% last year. That comes after a 2017 where he had only had uh, only caught half of his targets, 96 targets, and 48 receptions. So that was clearly not getting good quality targets from Carr. Carr really struggled in 2017, maybe a bit better in 2018. But at this point, I mean, who's the quarterback that has a playoff win? It's not Derek Carr, it's Dak Prescott. So as much as the draft capital spent on these quarterbacks would just be otherwise... Prescott's actually played really well, great at protecting the football and giving pretty decent quality targets to Cooper. So maybe maybe yeah, I'm coming around a little bit. Maybe to me he's still kind of between tier three and tier two. Although uh, you know if I if I we see in training camp that the connection between the two has really grown, who knows what season two might be like between these two? Really season one and a half. So yeah, maybe uh, maybe I'm a little wrong here, but I guess we'll find out. <laughs> I'd say soon enough. Let's close more wins. (laughs) (laughs) I I would say we'd find out soon enough, but really, I don't think the NFL season can come soon enough for us. Uh, So I touched on Vikings receivers. Actually, let's get to one right now. Uh, We'll talk about Stefan Diggs. Again, this is the same situation with Cooper. Both of you have him in Tier 2, but I'm a little hesitant, as I'd explain, and have him in Tier 3. So, uh, Dean, why don't you begin this time? I think Diggs is a home run threat on that team. I think they have a lot of talent around him with uh, Cook out of the backfield and then Rudolph at tight end and, of course, Adam Thalen, who had a monster year last year. But Diggs had 148 targets last year and 102 receptions and nine touchdowns. I think the big playability is there. And Kirk Cousins is another quarterback that doesn't mind throwing the ball down the field. That's why they went and got him. They don't want to dink and dunk. In Minnesota, they want to throw the football down the field. They want to stretch things and get Cook and those running backs uh, some space to run in up front. And I think Diggs is due to have a big year this year. Not that he didn't have a big year last year, but I think it's even bigger this year. I think he eclipses Thalen a little bit this year. All right. Alessandro, care to add anything? 
no, I mean, the only thing I say different from Dean is that I still think Thielen is still the, going to be the number one. But if uh, Kirk Cousins can stop being all posh with his fully fully guaranteed contract, sorry, a little salty there, um, then uh, I guess, uh, yeah, he could lay down chain. If he could channel his inner Case Keenan from the playoff run, I have no problems with bumping up Stephon Diggs and Alan Thielen. I mean, Thielen was the number one wide receiver in fantasy until like week 10 last year. When he dipped a little bit and he decided he needed to run the ball more. I'm pretty sure that's when the Flippo got in there and said we need to run the ball. So, yeah, I have no problems bumping them up and actually like, let them run out. I mean, but I still think Thielen over Diggs, but Diggs over a lot of people. Uh, I guess uh, the salt of Kirk Cousins not signing with you guys is probably less in drafting Sam Darnold. I Bigger at this point, you'd probably rather have the young kid that you can develop instead of the guy who we've seen in his prime. And you've echoed it. Case Keenum has more playoff wins than Kirk Cousins. So that's uh, <laughs> sounds kind of ugly for Kirk Cousins. Anyway, uh, this might actually be another one where you guys might convince me to bump up digs. My hesitation, as I mentioned with Cooper, is the same thing. You know, Minnesota's, a, or at least appeared in the, at the end of the season last year, is a run-first team. It seems that that's what Mike Zimmer wants, and... Mike Zimmer's the head coach. He's going to get what he wants. So he uh, hired, uh, or last year they promoted Kevin Stefanowski. And it seemed like he was he's more of a, not a puppet for Zimmer, but it seemed like he was really bowing to Zimmer's desire to run the ball more. You got someone that will be interested in doing that. I feel like if I'm drafting in fantasy, and all three of those guys, Diggs, Thielens, and, and Dalvin Cook are there, I think I'd want Dalvin Cook. I do like going running backs early. Maybe that skews it a little bit, but to me, uh, I don't know. If he's not quite the primary weapon on his team, it's tough to to really trust him up in the second tier. But that being said, I kind of agree with what both of you are saying. I do have Diggs ahead of Thielen. Now, in this particular case, I have them both in Tier 3, and I don't think I would consider moving Thielen out of th- Tier 3. But Diggs is kind of one of those guys where, if I think about it more, maybe he and Cooper Duvay's up to Tier 2. As Dean actually said it perfectly, Diggs is the home run threat there. Thielen, over the last couple of years, has gotten 140 and 153 targets, so to sustain those wide receiver one numbers, he needs to be fed a lot. Whereas Diggs did have a, you know, was really high, highly targeted last year, but he hasn't always gotten 148 targets in every season, so I think he can do more with less, as opposed to Thielen, who really needs that volume and saw the touchdowns not quite be there two years ago, but probably needs that touchdown production to really get into wide receiver one, like last year. And since we're talking about Thielen, let's talk about the fact that he's a consensus for us. All three of us have him in Tier 3, uh, as well as Julian Edelman. I mean, I think we've kind of hashed everything out about Thielen. Does anyone want to talk about Julian Edelman? Absolute monster. I hate him so much, but he's an absolute monster. <laughs> Just, I mean, that's, that's about it. I mean, I want him in tier two. I want him tier two, but Brady's starting to get old, and Brady's not really good in the fantasy perspective. But oh God, is he a monster? Yeah, I do struggle with that too. It's like what I mentioned with Diggs: is the running back is Sony Michelle maybe the guy to get? But I think Edelman's locked in for a ton of targets. Losing Gronk, and you know, a very young receiver core that Brady frankly doesn't have a lot of chemistry with. Really, at this point. You know, the guy. And he's a slot receiver. Oof. 
Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, the, you know, with Brady's arm. And, you know, that O-line has lost a couple pieces over the last couple of years. It seems like with Skarnecchia there, it doesn't matter. They, he can turn every O-lineman to great, and the Patriots offense always protects Brady enough, but he does throw the quarter, the ball out quick. Like, he doesn't uh, mess around. He doesn't want to tear another ACL. It seems like since recovering, he's been the Masters at throwing the ball out quick. And if Edelman's in the slot and getting free releases all the time, that's going to be your primary target. And, I mean, he is by far the most chemistry with him on the team. It's next, the next receiver who is the most chemistry with Brady is a running back, probably James White. And then after that, it's Philip Dorsett, who's only been on the team for a couple of years. So, yeah, I think Edelman's in line for a huge amount of targets. This is another one where I, I probably could put him in Tier 3. It's kind of the same thinking as T.Y. Hilton and Keenan Allen. Uh, but I also think that maybe the Patriots will run a little more than those other offenses. So I'm happy with him here. Dean, you want to add anything? or? Edelman is Edelman. You know, it, it's if you're not a Patriots fan, you kind of, eh. But if you are, I mean, you got to love the guy because there's nobody that competes any harder than Julian Edelman. It's just a, a given. 80 catches, 85 catches a year, you know, five or six touchdowns, and maybe a handful of clutch uh, third down or game-winning catches from that guy. He's he's tremendous. Well, even in the Super Bowl this recent year, he had, I can't remember how many catches. I think it was close to 10. And, well, six or seven of them were for first downs. I think that was, if anything, maybe the reason the Patriots won the game was just how long they held the ball in that game. And I was actually having this conversation recently with a friend just about how, you know, running the football isn't the only way to run the clock out. You can have a quarterback who understands it's great decision making, understands the game situation really well, and can find outlet passes over the middle. That's a great way to keep the clock running, but also still threaten and not give yourself in poor field position. I mean, if you're at your own 20 and you have a drive to kill the clock, you run it three times and you punt, you're going to get the ball in good field position. So push it down, get it as far as you can, but I think that's the Patriot way, really. So Edelman's going to be that recipient. Now, someone I have a little higher than Edelman is AJ Green. I have him in Tier 2, uh, but uh, you guys both have him in here in Tier 3, so I'll backtrack a little, get back to a guy that I'm pretty high on. And now, AJ Green has been plagued with injuries the last couple of years. That's probably the only concern. I'm going to anticipate that's maybe the reason you guys are a little lower on him. But when he's healthy, 1,000-yard season after 1,000-yard season, and the bit of a bit higher touchdown upside than some of the other receivers we've seen kind of recently been talking about. I mean, those first, you know, those first five years where he was pretty healthy throughout seven touchdowns, 11, 11, six in a 13 game season and 10. Those were all with thousand yards, 1300, 1400. So I just think the, the high, the high amount of volume is there. Last year was the first year he ever got less than hundred targets, but he only played eight games. So he's on that pace every year for 100 targets. If he's playing 16 games, he's certainly going to get more than 100. I mean, in a 16-game season, the least he's ever gotten is 132. And as good as Tyler Boyd played last year, I don't think that's going to change. Now, the injury concern is real, so I, I do get that. But if he's healthy right now and through training camp, I tend not to, you know, I tend not to judge him too much. If he was still kind of recovering from the injuries last year, I'd be a little bit hesitant. So that's something to watch his training camp. But if He's participating fully throughout training camp. I have no concerns with him at all. It's the only thing I want to say about it. If he's participating fully through training camp, through OTAs, through mini camp, whatever, he's getting bumped up immediately. This man, like you said, 1,000 yards after 1,000 yards after 1,000 yards, and he's doing it with a lot less targets 
and with a very, very questionable quarterback, hey, this man's got my vote. He's um he's my keeper in like three of my leagues, so Yeah. Yeah, I picked him up. I just had a recent startup auction and I picked him up in a one year contract league. I'm going for the title. He's a nice win now piece, even in a dynasty, and certainly I think that in redraft. I'm in tier two. Dean, wanna add anything? No, I really like AJ Green. I think, like Alessandro said, if he's healthy, he's got the ability to be bumped up a tier or two. He's one of those guys that can take over a game from time to time. The reason I've got him a little lower is because of Tyler Boyd. And if if Eifert can stay healthy, if Eifert can stay healthy, there's another big if for Cincinnati. Guy's really great when he's on the field, but it's it's he's had a hard time staying on the field. But AJ Green can. Uh, definitely go up a couple tiers in rankings, like Alessandro said. He's got that kind of ability. All right, so now moving on to maybe a new player on the block that I know I think has that same kind of potential and upside. It's Kenny Galladay. So, Dean, uh, you and I both have him in Tier 3. Uh, Alessandro, you're uh, you know, quite as, uh, as hopeful, I guess, for him. Dean, why don't you start us off and Talk about why you have Kenny Galladay in Tier 3, and it seems almost in Tier 2. Yeah, I really like Kenny Galladay in that offense in Detroit. Stafford's a guy that, will, when Megatron was there, he threw at Megatron continually. Now, I'm not comparing Galladay to Megatron because there's, that's not a comparison at this point in their careers, but he did have 118 targets last year and 70 catches. He played in 15 of the 16 games, uh, five touchdowns, I think Galladay has a breakout year this year, his third year in the league, and he becomes one of the elite guys. He's one of the next wave, in my opinion, of guys that are are going to be a staple for your upper-tiered fantasy draft for years to come. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly there. <laughs> Lions players, right? And I mentioned this, that you know, the Packers have been losing to the Lions, it seems like, more than any other team. Than in the NFC North. I mean, they even beat the Bears last year when they made the playoffs, but it's the Lions have been on kryptonite, and part of it has been great receiving performances by whoever's there, whether it's Golden Tate or Marvin Jones, and now Kenny Galladay to deal with. Yay! But my sort of fear for him also fuels my fantasy uh, fire for him, because I think, like you say, this is someone who... We have in Tier 3 now, and at the end of the season, we could look really silly having him this low. And I don't necessarily think there's a risk there that he'll be that high. I mean, like you mentioned, 118 targets, or 119 targets last year. And really, he wasn't the primary receiver for a big stretch of the season. It was really only after they traded away Golden Tate and Marvin Jones got injured that he was, okay, the primary sole focus. Having Jones is probably going to help keep away defenses, and uh, target hog like Tate not being there is going to help just steer Stafford towards Gall- Galladay. So, Alessandro, why don't you talk to us about Kenny Galladay? Well, I got Kenny Galladay in my fourth tier. I have him handcuffed from Marvin Jones. It's like you said, he didn't get the production until Golden Tate left. And with Golden Tate still gone, I don't see him going any higher because of Marvin Jones. Yeah, he, he's an explosive dangerous threat I will grant you that he is but with Stafford being kind of wildly inaccurate you know especially on the road I don't see Galladay going any higher so I need so this is another situation where he's handcuffed to both another wide receiver and his quarterback so I just need to see 
a better Stafford for me to bump up Kenny Galladay. Until then, him and Marvin Jones are handcuffed. All right, so I guess for you, it's the you're not convinced that he's the for sure number one guy there. Whereas no, I think no, Dean no, and I are Marvin Jones. Well, okay, and that and that makes sense. Is that where we differ? Because I think Dean and I are both pretty sure that that is the case. So we'll see who proves who wrong as the season uh, commences. Moving on, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a few uh, teammates here, and it's uh, seems like it's all over the map with these guys. Uh, talking about the Rams receivers, of course. We've got Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup. So let me run down the situation here briefly. Alessandro and I both have Cooks in tier three. I have Robert Woods in tier three, and Alessandro is Cooper Cup in that tier. I have him in tier four, and I notice for Dean. You're a little. You're quite a bit lower on all of them than we are. Cooks and Cup are both in tier four, and Robert Woods is. I've seen him here. Where do you have Robert Woods, Dean? I don't have him in upper. I don't have him in my Ooh. tiers. Okay. Wow. Ooh, that's pretty shocking. That <laughs> all right. Well, let's. Uh, okay. Let's get to something that seems like we're a little bit more green on. I think for all of us, the highest player on all our our rankings or our list here is Brandon Cooks. Uh, Alessandro, want to start with Brandon Cooks? I mean, I, I like Brandon Cooks. He was a very good wide receiver, you know. It's unfortunate that he has been bounced around in the league so much. You know, I, when he was with um, when he was with the Patriots, that's when I thought that he was at his best. But I like Brandon Cooks. He's the explosive threat on the outside. You throw him in the slot, he, he could, you know, add <laughs> What do you say? He could add him in the slot? I mean, that, that, that's about <laughs> it. Uh, I mean, the, the, the standard is Edelman. But when he was with New Orleans, I liked him. He was good. You know, he was Breeze's favorite target. Got a 1,000-yard season with them. He's had a 1,000-yard season ever since. I mean, there's only a non-1,000-yard season when he did 10 games in his rookie season, and he, that was half a 1,000 yards. Next year... 11.38, year after that, 11.73, year after that, 10.82. This year with the Rams, I mean, well, last year was, when I say last year, I mean 2017, was with New England, 2018, with the Rams, still 12.04. I mean, the man's been phenomenal, and he's been doing it with tiny targets. I mean, listen to this, 69, 69 targets, 53 catches, 550 yards. That's his first year. After that, 129.84 for 11.38. He's got 117 out of 78 for 11.73. 114 out of 65 for 10.82. 117 out of 8, 80 out of 117 for 12.04. I mean, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins has twice. Let me repeat that. Twice what this guy has, and yet he has half of that and coming up close to these numbers. I mean... The man's fantastic. I just don't... He, he's not on stable ground, and that's what scares me. I need him to stay with one team, with like he was with New Orleans. I just need him to stay on one team for him to be a much higher in my rankings. But for right now, until he can stay with one quarterback, I just don't trust him. So does the, uh, the big extension he signed recently with the Rams, does that kind of encourage you a little more? It has. I just, you know... I mean, we've seen Amari Cooper get traded in the middle of the season, and he signed an extension. So I'm, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going 
you know, do whatever. I just I want to watch and wait. Well, I mean, you're talking about the big play threat this guy is, and it doesn't seem. It, it, it's funny. You think his play style is make him inconsistent, but season to season, he's very consistent. It is very week to week that the boom bust approach kind of comes in, and I know for me, that's why I can't quite put him into tier two at that point. I'm still looking for higher floors and more stability and kind of knowing that a guy is the, okay, undisputed number one target. And that's really tough to do on this team. That being said, though, it's such a great offense that you, you do want to buy into it. And maybe, I mean, I think Gurley is the best option in that offense just because of the touchdown upside's there. But at this point, it is starting to look like a big question mark for next year. So maybe waiting a couple rounds and grabbing Cooks, and I think that's the primary weapon is, that's the best strategy to go with. Uh, now, even though he I mean, he is a big play threat, we've talked about that in the last three seasons, yards per, recep- yards per reception, 15 in 2016, 16.6 in 2017, and then 15.1 last year. It was, of course, all with three different teams, but it seems like that's where he's best used, and all these teams agree on it, and that's why they keep using him in that way. Now, someone who is maybe less of a, a big play guy is Robert Woods, and I know I'm a little higher on, on him. But, Dean, it seems like even though you're a little lower than all of us, Cooks is still your number one guy in the Rams. So, care to explain why you have him the best among the Rams receivers, but still in Tier 4? Well, those, all those receivers, Kyle, it might have been you when we were talking off-air earlier, uh, talked about the, or it might have been Alessandro, talked about the amount of times the Rams ran three wide receiver sets, which has led the league by far, I'm sure. So all three of those guys have fantasy value i just kind of prefer cooks because of his raw physical talent uh, his ability to take the top off a of defense uh, he's proven that f- from his time in new orleans and in, in new england that he can do that and again another year in this offense will help cooks i think i that's why i've got him as high because i just like his physical talent a little more than the other guys cooper cup i've got him down a little lower because he was on pace for 112 targets, uh, 80 catches, and almost 1,200 yards before he got hurt. 12 touchdowns. That's the pace he was on. And I think Woods benefited from him being out more than Cooks did last year. That's why I've got Cooks. He's not in my top six tiers because I've only got six guys in each tier. But he would be in the next tier. He would be in the top 40 guys, I think. It's just one of those things where I had to make a choice in my mind which two of the three were going to get the most work. And I think Woods, who had a breakout year last year, I think he'll regress a little bit. And I think Cup and Woods especially will benefit from that regression by having better years this year. Not to just totally you know, diminish your point, but I am looking at it, and all of Robert Woods' 100-yard games last year happened when Cooper Cup was in the lineup. Now, uh, it seems about half but half his touchdowns did happen after. Three touchdowns with Cup in the lineup, this is Woods I'm talking of, and three after Cup left. So the touchdown distribution was pretty equal, so that didn't seem too affected. But I do think that Woods had a, a you know, he had less uh, interference in the, the defensive secondary when teams were having to focus on Cup so much. And I got, he got to roam a little bit freer. Now, the thing is, Cooks actually saw some an increase. He still had some 100-yard games after the cup injury, so he seemed a little less affected uh, than Woods, but I actually think Woods was affected negatively by Cup's absence. 
So him, him being healthy there really increases things for me for Woods. I guess the one thing that a little hesitant on it, yeah, it was such a bump in production. It was his first 1,000-yard receiver, uh, receiving season. So can he repeat that, or was this the pinnacle of Robert Woods? I would bank on Cooks improving and Woods staying about the same. That's why I have Cooks a little bit higher than Woods, but I still think they're both, both probably going to get 1,000 yards again. I mean, they both had 1,200 last year, and they didn't seem like they had a, you know ate into each other's production too much. So now Alessandro... You have Robert Woods. Uh, where do you have Robert fourth Woods? Year. Fourth year. Here. Okay, so I am the, the Robert Woods uh, one uh, you know, yelling on the Robert Woods bell. So uh, you're seeing a little lower on him, so can you care to explain why? Um, well, you know, uh, Robert Woods, to me, he it, it's like Dean said, he, he's a dependent on the other two. Brandon Cooks, 1,000 yards, Across the board, doesn't matter the team, doesn't matter who's on the under center. I trust him. Cup, on the other hand, I like Cup, which is why I have him with Cooks. The man was a phenomenal breakthrough. He was the touchdown machine. Why? Because he played the outside, and they did some kind of formation, and they were able to get him alone. So he got the touchdowns. Woods, he, you know, when he started in Buffalo, he really didn't have a thousand yards. He his best season in Buffalo was his second year, his second, his sophomore year, where he had over 100 tar- targets, 65 catches for 699 yards. He really, oh, what's the word? He sucked. That's it. <laughs> I'm sorry I'd be so blunt, but I mean, 587 yards, 699 yards, 552 yards, 613 yards. I mean, this is when Buffalo was having the rotation of quarterbacks. So I don't entirely blame Woods. You know, it, they had E.J. Manuel, Nathan Peterson, Josh Allen, insert quarterback, insert quarterback. So, and then he came out to the Rams, his first season with the Rams, 781 yards. He blew that out of the water. He had the second most receptions in his career. And had 781 yards. Last year, he had 12,019 yards on 86. And he had over 130 targets. So, while it seems like I'm low on Woods, I think that's going to go down because Cup's going to come back into the lineup. And Cup seems to be Goff's favorite weapon outside of um, Woods. I mean, not Woods, um, Cooks. So, uh, I just need to see how this transpires. But... but I, I would love to be proved wrong because Woods is a good receiver by all accounts. I just, for right now, I don't see him going any higher. I do I think you make a great point with the touchdowns. I mean, you look at the season totals, it was the same as Woods and one just one more than Cooks, but Cup only played eight games and got six touchdowns. So I think you are right. In the red zone, he probably is the, actually Goff's best weapon. Done a lot of red zone targets the last couple of years. And as long as he's healthy, I expect that to continue I just wonder how the target distribution is going to be maybe if Gurley is more banged up that it's that falls on the three of these guys Cooks, Woods and Cup and they all sort of see a boosted targets I kind of felt a little weird putting all three in the same tier and just because Cup is recovering from the injury I have him in tier four but certainly I agree with the upside call and Dean you have Cup in tier four as well anything else you want to add to uh, to this Rams uh, receiving core? 
No, I think it's a really good receiving core. All three guys can play. All three guys are capable of going off and having a big year or a big game. I think a lot of that hinges, though, on the running back health and how they how they use Gurley and, and the other guys back there. So maybe it is one of those things where if, if the whole offense isn't, you know, isn't clicking on all cylinders at all times, it affects everyone. The talked about it before. I know I think this will happen with the Browns. You know, rising tides raise all ships. So if it doesn't seem like this offense has been too bad for, you know, there's some games where they get both guys to produce. So it doesn't seem like that sort of cannibalistic thing where you have to have kind of pick one guy and hope that that's the guy that produces that week. So hopefully that this Rams offense continues to be explosive, not just for fantasy, but I think for football in general, it's a great offense to watch and it's a lot of fun. Well, that'll wrap it up for tonight. I know we're running a little later than we wanted to, but I know I feel that we have a lot of information we want to share. And if we go a little overboard, I think it's worth it to give everyone all of our thoughts. Now we're almost done tier three and we'll, you on that next time, Tier 3, Tier 4, Tier 5, maybe if we get enough time, Tier 6 for our wide receiver rankings. But thank you everyone for listening. This was another episode of the Full Press Fantasy Pod. Co-hosts are Alessandro Senator at AMS1928, Dean Williams at BadAppleFFB, and I'm Kyle Senator at Yama underscore KS. Thank you to y'all once again, and as we mentioned at the start of the episode, thank you to all the veterans who have served.